This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Thursday, December 16th. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning with only nine days to go until Christmas. In fact, the traditional Christmas novenas begin today and end on Christmas Eve. Our Lord and King is drawing near. Oh, come, let us adore him. We continue to pray for all the victims and all the families that were devastated by the tornadoes this past weekend that ripped across six states, including the worst hit state of Kentucky. We also pray for anyone that may have been affected last night from the severe storms uh, and the tornadoes that slammed in many parts of the Great Plains, the Midwest, and uh, there's a a lot of damage uh, reported, as Glenn mentioned here at the top of the hour. Uh, Yesterday, we spoke to the Bishop of Owensboro, Kentucky, uh, His Excellency Bishop uh, William Medley, who encouraged us to continue to pray, and he also asked for much-needed donations. Uh, You can give online to help uh, Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Owensboro uh, to help those impacted by the recent devastation. You can go to owensborodiocese.org slash give and then select Tornado Relief Catholic Charities. Once again, owensborodiocese.org slash give. We begin every hour in prayer, uh, praying to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit as we do every day. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from Isaiah 9-6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is one of the many prophecies of the Old Testament that is fulfilled by the baby of Bethlehem, our Lord Jesus Christ. God with us, Emmanuel, is the child to be born who would fulfill this prophecy in the incarnation, the Word made flesh, the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Prince of peace. Let's continue to prepare our hearts for the coming of the baby Jesus, the mighty God, by going to confession here in the final 
final days of Advent to have a truly blessed Christmas. We pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, uh, with only nine days left until Christmas, we as Catholic Christians should prepare for Jesus' birth by serving those in need rather than focusing on what awaits us under the Christmas tree. These are the words of Pope Francis this past Sunday during his Angelus Address. Now joining us uh, to talk much more about preparing for Christmas by serving others is Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air and Relevant Radio. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. Good morning, Monsignor Shea. Happy Advent. Uh, Welcome back to the show. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. Always a joy to be with you. Good morning, John. It's a joy to be with you as well as we get ready for Christmas. Advent is in its prime right now, and uh, our hearts are preparing, and pretty soon Christmas will be here. And we uh, we count our blessings that we got you on the show because our phone lines are actually uh, down, and um, a lot of businesses' phone lines are down, and uh, a lot of issues going on with all the high winds and uh, all the the reported tornadoes across uh, the Great Plains and Midwest just last night, and that just comes less than a week after what we saw, the devastation that happened on Kentucky. So our hearts are with anybody that's going going through a difficult time here at Christmas time. Right. Well, so it's a it's an interesting thing because I think we can sentimentalize Christmas, John, and we can we can think that Christmas is meant it's meant to say that uh, that everything is cheerful and bright and joyful all the time in our lives and that's how our lives should be. Our lives should go along without a hitch. Uh, there should be no suffering, all of those kinds of things. And in the materialist society, you know, the Pope talked about Um, in his message yesterday, he talked about how rather than thinking about uh, what's under the Christmas tree for us, rather than seeking out the presents which we think are due to us, we're meant to pour our lives out, we're meant to serve others instead. And that is uh, the essence, the essence of our lives as Christians, our lives as Catholics. We're not meant to be in this world so that we can take and take and acquire We're meant to be in this world so that we can give, and not just to give in a sort of empty philanthropic sense. We're meant to give because the world is a darkened place which needs the light of Christ. Uh, So we look out and we see a vast sea of suffering, people who have endured weather disasters in the last few days, uh, people who have financial crises in their lives or in their families, people who themselves or their loved ones are dealing with great sickness. Uh, we, We think about all of the throes of the pandemic that we've been through. We think about our political situation, and we can easily lose heart. Uh, And this is the world the darkened world that the Christ child came to enter and to penetrate with God's redeeming love. And so it's important for us to remember the truths of our faith. And one of the ways, one of the key ways in which we can welcome the Christ child is to, is to pour our, pour our hearts out in service to those in need. In other words, you, you encourage people earlier uh, to to donate to Catholic charities in Kentucky because people are in real need there right now. That's the kind of thing that makes space in our hearts. Acts of charity make space in our hearts such that the Christ child really can find a home there when he comes at Christmas. And so I think it's important for us to, to not to over-sentimentalize 
uh, the gospel message of Christ's coming and make it simply a symbol of him coming to cheer up a world that's already pretty joyful and going along the way that it should. That's not the message of the gospel at all. Christ came in to a, to a world desperately in need of him, a world with suffering people, a world with people under the burden of sin and darkness, and he, and he set us free, he lit us up. And that's, the, that's what we need to prepare our hearts for as Christmas arrives. Absolutely. Uh, Monsignor, uh, nobody knows the day or the hour. I can't begin to tell you how much uh, my heart has been touched uh, by seeing uh, the images of the devastation uh, in, in Kentucky and in a number of other states, but especially in Kentucky. I mean, it looked like scenes out of, uh, you know, an atomic bomb, uh, you know, Hiroshima. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And to see the images of, of little children in candlelight processions, uh, you know, praying for the families, uh, to see uh, the acts of charity, uh, really, uh, the the, uh, the corporal works of mercy that so many people are doing to try to help out here uh, during uh, Christmas time, during Advent, uh, in whatever way. Way they can. I mean, there's people getting in their cars and driving to Kentucky just to, to help uh, find survivors, uh, to, to help people. One guy just brought a bunch of water to give out to, to people. Another guy brought food to give out to people. Uh, there's so many stories of people's hearts being enlarged uh, here uh, during this special uh, time in which we're preparing our hearts for the coming of, of the baby Jesus. Right. You know, those, those scenes which are so touching, first they're heartrending. And then they're beautiful, because what we see there is is the worst of the human experience, the the extreme and excruciating suffering which is possible in human life, and which visits in a certain sense every human life, depending upon the sort of um, the the um, the circumstances in which we find ourselves. It, it can be very difficult to be a human being sometimes. It can be difficult to be in this life. And so the worst of the human experience is meant to be met by the best of the human experience. And so what you've got uh, in those scenes are people who are victims of great devastation and who through no fault of their own find themselves in really difficult circumstances. And you have those people being met by those who are pouring themselves out in service to others. I always tell our students here at the University of Mary that as they consider their life, because remember, they're young and they're standing on the doorstep of their lives. I said, your, your life is not about you. It's your life. Yes, it is. But it's not about you. And unless you find a way to pour yourself out in love, unless you find a way to get those talents and gifts that you have and give them away lavishly in service of other people, you'll never find, find happiness, joy, or real fulfillment, because that's what we're meant to do in response to the suffering of others. You know, of course, this is Charles Dickens' classic uh, story about Scrooge, who turned away from others in their need and who needed to be jostled out of that by the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future and all of those things. But we don't need a storybook. We don't, we don't need fiction in order to tell us that that's what we ought to do. The Holy Father reminded us in his message yesterday uh, that what's important is for us to open the pages of the gospel. And there we see Jesus Christ, and we see him pouring himself out on every page in the, in, in the service of others. He came to confront death, which is our greatest enemy, and to, and to defeat it. And he came in such an amazing way. You know, uh, he, he came as just a small child, 
And the world is so full of fear, and our lives are so gripped by fear that Jesus came in such a way that we wouldn't be afraid of him. Because who's afraid of a baby? <laughs> Nobody. And so the whole point of Christmas, the whole point of the season for which we prepare is that God wants to break through our deafness. He wants to provide for us a clear sign of his great love that he hasn't just come to explain to us why we suffer, he's come to do something about it. And that's deeply comforting. We're joined this morning by Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary, uh, talking about uh, preparing our hearts for Christmas by serving others. Monsignor, it is so easy uh, in everyday life to be caught up with uh, buying presents, the, the, the Christmas list, or organizing parties, going to fancy Christmas uh, office parties, and so much more. Uh, but the question uh, becomes, uh, what can we do for our Lord Jesus in our own respective way. That's right. So when, when we think about all of the traditions that surround Christmas, the buying and the giving of gifts, the fancy parties and all of those things, um, you know, we, we have to determine what is that all about? Um, so we live in a very prosperous society. We live in a time in which uh, a lot of the suffering which human beings through the centuries have endured doesn't come to visit us very often. And when, we, when it does come to visit us, because we're so sophisticated, uh, we have so many resources, we're really shocked by it. We're shocked that we're still vulnerable human beings. And so when, when we engage in all of these Christmas traditions, we should ask ourselves, what is it all for? Is it to deepen our sense of joy and celebration? If that's true, we should do it. You know what I mean? In other words, uh, if that's true, to, to express outwardly the inward joy that we feel, the genuine relief that we feel at having been saved, at living in a darkened world where there's all kinds of suffering, but knowing that we're not alone in it, that God is Emmanuel and he's with us. If, if, if our celebration, if our exchanging of giving and receiving of gifts, if that's an expression of the deep joy and hope which we find within us, then that's great. And it's, it's exactly the way that we should respond without being sentimental or without having a Pollyanna attitude that nothing is wrong and never forgetting all of those in our lives and all of those in the world who have less than we do and who are in need. So that's one way of approaching the question of Christmas. Another way of approaching the question is all of those parties and the giving and receiving of gifts being a superficial distraction from the real work of life, from the real vocation that each of us have as Christians and as Catholics to live for Christ, to welcome the Christ child into our hearts. In other words, those things, the practices of Christmas, and I think this is a creeping temptation for all of us, can, can grip us in such a way that they distract us and anesthetize us from the real work of the spiritual life. And we forget about what Christmas really is meant to be. And we allow ourselves to be crowded with all kinds of anxieties and fears and despair, even though on the surface, we're appearing to be joyful. And that, of course, is a sad story. And it happens to good people. And so we have to, at this point, and this is why I'm happy John, that you've asked that we have this conversation here just a little more than a week 
before Christmas arrives, such that we can check our hearts and say, where are we at interiorly right now? And wherever that is, we need to we need to do our best to rally close to the heart of Christ. Last night, I had the Christmas party uh, that I have for um, for all of the incoming freshmen. Uh, so they've just finished their first semester here at the University of Mary. They're just entering into their final examinations before they go home for the holiday. And uh, I have them over to my residence and I talk to them just to give them words of encouragement uh, and to, to make sure that they understand that they're known, that they're seen, that they're loved. And that's really important. It's really important for them. And it's important for them as they go into their final exams to remember that the Lord is with them and that they're meant to receive from him the joy of their lives. All of us need to be reminded of that. Monsignor Shea, um, I was um, very uplifted by the words of Pope Francis uh, this past week, uh, who reminded us, and he said, quote, just like the preparations people make to welcome a guest to their home by cleaning and preparing the best dinner possible, Christians must do the same with the Lord. Just think of the image. You know, we get the house all clean, the beautiful dining room table, uh, everything's all set and ready to go. Well, we need to do the same thing with our own hearts, uh, with our own minds. Uh, and really focus on what it's really all about, uh, living for our Lord Jesus Christ uh, and, and the coming of the baby Jesus. Right, and, and the Holy Father went on to say, um, he said that, that this preparation, this receiving of Christ as the guest who is coming, this is Advent, of course, and so we're reminded of that, the guest who is coming all the time at any moment, to be prepared in that way prompts the question through the Gospel of Luke, what should I do with my life? What, I'm, what am I called to do? What will I become? And that's not just a question for students at a university, like the place where I spend my time. It's a question for each and every one of us, for you, John, for me, and for all of our listeners. We have to ask all the time, what is the Lord doing? He's not dormant. He's not sleeping. He's really a, awake and alive in our lives, and he's doing something. What is he doing? What's the Lord up to? That constant sense of discernment, of never losing sight of God's providential care and intent in our lives, that provides us with the type of readiness that we need such that when he does break upon our life, when he does arrive in his goodness and in his glory, we'll be ready for him. And that's really important for us. And so that vocational question, what am I doing with my life? What am I called to do? And what will I become as a result of that is deeply, deeply important for each of us as we get ready for Christmas. I'm um, reminded of um, Matthew 25, where our Lord uh, says, whatever you do to the least of my uh, brothers and sisters, you do unto me. And so all of those many different corporal and spiritual works of mercy, uh, we have these golden opportunities that pop up and are obviously in front of us here during Advent. These are things that we're not just doing it for the folks, we're doing it for Jesus. Yeah, so the, um, and, and that, that, of course, <laughs> that message that Christ is truly present in our neighbor, especially as Mother Teresa used to say, when Jesus is in the distressing disguise of the poor and the needy, when Jesus disguises himself right in the midst of our life, right in the person that we're able to see in the morning or in the evening, every day, that's when we really come into our true vocation as, as servants 
of Jesus and when we're able to begin to approach that sanctity to each of us, which each of us is called to, when we seek out those hidden in our lives who are Jesus in our midst and serve them. Whatever we do to him, whatever we do to them, we're doing to him. Monsignor, uh, a couple quick thoughts um, before I let you go. Um, we have nine days to go before Christmas. Uh, the, many of the novenas, the traditional Christmas novenas, are beginning uh, today. I know in the in the Hispanic, the Latin American world, uh, it's a really big deal. The the Christmas uh, novena. Um, it's also an opportunity to to meditate on the gospel readings here, leading up to, to Christmas, and also to make it to confession. Just your your thoughts on one final uh, recommendation. Uh, uh, perhaps you can inspire the folks uh, to do something here uh, before Christmas. Yes, let's let's focus upon going to confession for just a moment. The confessions that I hear, so we have a bunch of parishes here in Bismarck, North Dakota, and we have penance services, and I go around to each of them and listen to the confessions. Sometimes people haven't been to confession in a long time. Good people who really just haven't gotten around to it or who have been away because of fear or something like that. I always encourage going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, making a very good confession in preparation for Christmas. All that we've been talking about uh, comes down to this, that we clear out space in our hearts to receive the Christ child and to be reconciled to God, to, to, to come to God and to receive his mercy, his gift of mercy, which is so infinite, is irreplaceable for us in this beautiful season. So let's all make a good confession in preparation for Christmas. Absolutely. Well, uh, Monsignor Shea, thank you so much uh, for being with us uh, all throughout this year, uh, it's always a joy to be with you. Um, this is our last time together until uh, uh, 2022, uh, but I want to wish you uh, a very blessed uh, the rest of the way here in Advent and a very Merry Christmas. I wish the same to you and to all of our listeners. God bless you. Blessed last days of Advent. Merry Christmas, and I'll see you in the new year. Thank you so much. Uh, Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. We need to take a, a short time out when Morning Air continues. Jack Valero, the co-founder of Catholic Voices, will join us from across the pond from the United Kingdom to discuss how to defend the faith without raising your voice this Christmas. So stay with us. There's much more to come straight ahead as Morning Air continues after this. After the hour, welcome back to Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Good to be with you this morning. You hear the traditional villancicos. Uh, that means there's only nine days left before Christmas. Many of the traditional Christmas novenas, uh, both in English and in Spanish, are beginning uh, across the world on this day. 
Now, picture this. It's Christmas Day or perhaps Christmas Eve. All your extended family is all gathered together. Everybody's sitting down for a wonderful dinner. And then suddenly, one of those hot-button issues comes up on the dinner table. Someone brings up uh, the issue of abortion or perhaps uh, COVID vaccines, uh, transgender issues, uh, and many other possible hot-button issues. The question is, how do we deal with these topics, with these conversations, uh, without raising the voice, without disturbing the peace and the joy of uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? I want to introduce you to Jack Valero the founder of Catholic Voices, a project started in the United Kingdom in 2010 to tell the church's story in the media, which is now spread to over 20 countries worldwide. Listen to this short excerpt from Catholic Voices Public Speakers Program. Pope Francis is going to release a document today which will set out his views on family life, marriage, contraception. With all of uh, the negative stories that have surrounded the Pope, uh, sexual abuse. Uh... Most people are actually interested in the church when there's some controversy. Yeah. And that's when people will say to you, did you see that story today in the paper or on the news last night? Yeah, as a Catholic, what do you think about that? And a lot of people feel, feel very threatened. They say, oh, I, I don't want to talk about that. We say that's the moment you need to be prepared for. That's your opportunity. Catholic Voices is a project that trains lay people to communicate their faith in a way that people will listen to and understand. It's a way to teach people how to talk about what they have in their heart in an effective manner. Our mission is, as Catholics, our mission is to share the faith, and that's what we're called to do um, in the new evangelization. And Catholic Voices, I think, is a really key way that we're able to do that. We're able to share our faith and the good news that we have received with other people. And joining us now live from London in the United Kingdom is Jack Valero with much more perspective on this issue of how to defend our faith without raising our voice. Good morning, Jack. Welcome to Morning Air for the first time. Thanks so much for joining us this morning from across the pond. Good to be with you from London. Good morning. Great to be here. Great. Jack, uh, first of all, uh, for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what uh, is Catholic Voices? Where did this inspiration for this idea come from? Yes. Well, the project started in 2010 when we were preparing the, the visit of Pope Benedict to, to Britain, which became controversial because some people didn't want him to come or didn't want the state to pay for his visit. And we found that the media were ready to have a conversation about this because they thought it, it would be controversial and interesting. But there weren't Catholics ready to put across the church's story in a convincing way or in an attractive way. So we, a friend and I, a friend of mine and I decided to train some people. And after a few months, we put them on media programs. And when the Pope came, we were on about 100 information, you know, news programs and uh, the visit itself was a great success and for us on top of the success of the visit was the idea that catholics became confident in speaking of these controversial issues in media because they knew how to do it and uh, and it was a great dream so we thought why don't we apply this not just to media but to our normal conversations as you said at the top of your program you know to say your, your home, your sister, your brother, your brother-in-law you haven't seen for, for many months and brings up these this, this difficult topics. Why don't we use the same method 
for this since it has worked so well for us in media. And that's what we've been doing for many years now all around the world. And, and your message is spread now uh, to yeah, many yeah. other countries as well. Exactly. I mean, many we, we, had, we had some people working on this in the USA. Uh, USA is a huge country, so we only did some some activities in the East Coast for now. Some in Canada, some in many countries in Latin America, Argentina, Chile, Mexico, uh, Colombia, etc., and many countries in Europe. And here's the heart of the method. And uh, this is what I'd like to say is the most important message, which is this, that when you are talking about a topic where, uh, which is controversial and there seem to be two sides and you're on one side and the other people seem to be on the other side, um, the way to communicate your message is not to be very clever on how you speak about what you think, but consistent listening to the other side to find out what good thing they're pursuing and understanding that once you find what the good of the other is, you realize that it is a Christian thing that they're seeking. Um, because the seeds of the gospel are all over our society and how we think, even though our societies are very secularized. So for example, um, why is it that um, gender ideology has uh, spread so far so quickly when its tenets are almost absurd? You know, its main tenet is that if you feel you are a woman, then you are a woman. Why is this? Why is this spreading? Well, um, one reason it's spreading is this: that um, some people, even though there may be very few, but some people do suffer with their condition. They think. You know, I don't feel right with my body as a man. I feel that I should be a woman or I would like to be a woman or I have these feelings inside. And they might have come across a Christian who has told them, look, th you have a mental problem. You, you are sick. You need help. Uh, you, you can't think this way. Or they might have come across a gender ideology person who tells them, I understand you. I love you. I want to help you, and your problem is that if you think you're a woman, you are a woman. If you, if you, if you, the moment you accept this, you will be happy. Guess which one will convince more people? The second one. Why? Because it appeals to to the love we have for the person, the compassion for the person who suffers. So here, it, here we are. We need to understand when the other side are acting out of compassion for somebody, and join that value, which is also ours, and give our message through there, explaining how our messages about gender or about abortion or about euthanasia or about family life, marriage, are uh, connecting with all the good things that the others want. And so once, and I've said this very quickly, and you know, it usually takes me several hours to explain it in great detail, but this is the heart of it. And when we do that, we no longer have to think of our conversations as a fight between one side and another, but as a joint project to find good solutions to the real problems that exist in society, you know. Because most of the things that we see nowadays, like Black Lives Matter, Love is Love, hum Women's Rights are Human Rights, are wrong answers to, r to, r to real problems. And 
if we understand that the problem is real and that we want a good thing, then we can work together. The moment you think that your conversation is about working together, you lose the fear to speak because you no longer have to do violence. That's it. Jackie, you brought up uh, something that I think is really important, and that is uh, how crucial it is to be a good listener, the importance of listening. And if I may just add, uh, in addition to listening, I think asking good questions is a way to to show that compassion that, that you mentioned. Um, instead of just uh, uh, pontificating one's uh, beliefs, even if even if our beliefs are 100% true and, and, and authentically a Christian Catholic, uh, if we don't ask the questions, if we don't uh, listen carefully, uh, we're really not uh, following uh, the direction of First Peter 3.15, uh, our first pope who uh, writes uh, that we should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, but to do it with gentleness and reverence. That implies respect for the other person, that compassion that you mentioned. Yes. And you know, um, I always say to people, when I, when I hear somebody who says to me, look, if I hear anything... Uh, I need to tell the truth. And I, oh, I'm a bit fearful of that because our understanding of the truth is always partial. Even if the Catholic Church has all the truth, our understanding of it is always partial. But we are fearful of listening, you know? I find people are fearful because they think that if they listen and they try to connect with the other, they're gonna go to the other side. And this is a fear we must get rid of because if our beliefs are solid, then the most Catholic thing to do is to have love for the other and to understand what good the other person is seeking. And then our communication is very easy. You do not need any courage to speak about controversial issues if you put love first. Absolutely. You know, the, the late, great Archbishop Fulton Sheen used to say, the truth is the truth, even if nobody believes it. An error is an error, even if everybody believes it. So even if we have the, the truth on our side, it's the way that we present it. It's the way that we interact with whoever we're uh, talking about, whether it's uh, at the Christmas Eve or Christmas Day uh, dinner table or in a, any other uh, setting. So um, th this is a very important topic uh, for us. Uh, Jack. And in fact, I'd like to talk a little bit more about it uh, on the other side. We need to take a, a short break uh, as we uh, continue our conversation uh, from the United Kingdom, from all the way across the pond with Jack Valero, the founder of Catholic Voices. Stay with us. There's much more to come here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. Long lay the world in sin and never pining till he appeared and the soul felt his worth. 
46 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air on the Relevant Radio Network and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for being with us this morning as we continue our conversation with Jack Valero, the founder of Catholic Voices, live uh, from London in the United Kingdom. Jack, welcome back. Uh, it's, uh, it's good uh, to be with you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, Jack, you know, you guys do tremendous uh, work uh, with uh, with Catholic Voices. I- I'm just curious as to what is the current situation in the United Kingdom when it comes to media bias. I know that here in this country, there's tremendous bias when it comes uh, to the pro-life issues, when it comes to uh, what the church actually teaches. What's the situation like um, in the United Kingdom? Well, um, I think we've done a lot less in the last couple of years when things have been locked up with COVID and all that. But um, generally, I would speak from before that the media here, uh, I think, is quite open to people uh, coming in with their views um, as long as they do it well. So they're looking for people who uh, are good value, they can be understood and make their point in a convincing manner. And that's why when we've prepared people from Catholic Voices to speak on different issues. They have been welcome in the BBC and other media. Uh, They obviously want to put different views, so they might have somebody saying the opposite, but they do give you the space and they do consider it good that you do a good job. So uh, I don't know the situation in other countries so well, but here I'm very happy that uh, if you are a very, uh, if you're a good um, mouthpiece for the church, you can have Uh, an outlet here in the media. Can you talk about the importance of uh, having uh, the laity uh, well-informed, well-instructed? In fact, uh, the late great uh, St. John Henry Cardinal Newman once said, I want an intelligent, well-instructed laity. How how is Catholic Voices an answer uh, to that call of that great Anglican convert? Exactly. I mean, in we we when we started, we started with that quote in mind. I mean, because if you, uh, you know, if Pope Benedict came to beatify Newman in that trip where we were born, and we used that uh, that occasion of the beatification of Cardinal Newman and that sentence about the laity, because really, in order to uh, change the word, the way that the faith is communicated through the media, we need many many lay people to know not just the content of the faith, which is one something that we're not there. We need much more formation uh, of the content of, of the faith, but also how to put it across, how to connect with the other, how to understand modern society and its, its way of thinking of Catholics and of the faith. All that is necessary. So our dream is that uh, having prepared a few people in different places, these people teach other people and so on. And there's a kind of wave of formation of people in these different areas of knowledge of the faith and knowledge of the media, so that we do end up with 1.2 billion Catholic spokespeople in the world. I mean, it will be an absolute revolution. You know, the 99.9% of the uh, Catholics are lay, and uh, so it's funny that only a priest can speak and they haven't got any particular training to speak on media, whereas lay people 
can become very good at speaking on media because they are professionals or they, they, they can speak from where they are. They can connect to everyone else. Um, and so it would be an, an absolute revolution in the church if we could manage this, uh, this idea that every lay person becomes a spokesperson. And one of the you could think from that is let's, let's help people to be good at speaking in their own families, uh, to avoid any rancor or fight or discussion, but to speak in this empathetic way, understanding where people are coming from, understanding their values, knowing that everyone ultimately wants the same good things. And if we all learn to do that in our families, then we're in a much better position to speak about the church in public. Well, uh, Jack, you are the... Um co-author of, of, of the uh, book, uh, the Spanish version, How to Defend the Faith Without Raising Your Voice. Uh, why is it uh, especially important, and not to lose our minds when we're discussing uh, our faith with family members and friends that we disagree with, especially here as we approach Christmas time? Yes, and, and you know, I, uh, I always feel that, uh, you know, I, I love my relatives. I love my siblings and my cousins and and other other relatives and some think very differently from me and i i when i when we used to meet for holidays and christmas and other like occasions i used to dread people coming in with different topics that i i even though i had my own very strong views on i felt that they would bring some violence to the conversation in such uh, family occasions but now when i since I realized that we all want the same thing and that my communication consists mostly in listening, understanding our common ground and working from there, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to speak about any of, these, any of these things. That's what we do in the book, you know. I do recommend it. The, the, the English version, How to Defend the Faith Without Raising Your Voice, which was the original version, was published by OSV in the States and has sold thousands you know tens of thousands of copies some bishops have sent it to all their priests and everything so even though it's now been around for quite a while and it needs updating even because it's from 2015 it's still worth reading the spanish version is more up to date uh we've we've tackled a couple of more subjects that we need to now go back and update the english version but uh the tagline is interesting in in the english version uh, civil responses to catholic hot button issues this is how to defend exactly. the faith without raising your voice uh, what are uh, a few of those responses that come to mind uh, on those hot button issues well um you know the, the 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 one that you mentioned at the beginning of ocean is really difficult because in fact when you start thinking about it it's completely it seems completely incompatible that if i think that uh, abortion is murder and somebody thinks that abortion is a human right for, for the woman. These two are irreconcilable positions and of course we're not seeking the middle ground which is uh, instead of abortion on demand, abortion in some cases which is, is, is disliked as a solution by, by both, both sides but we're seeking common ground and it would seem at first that there is no common ground but you know if we listen carefully, you, we could start to find common ground, and people have started finding common ground in many movements around the world by understanding that we all want to help women in need and that we can start from there. We, we understand 
the damage done to women themselves by, by, by abortion and how we can say, okay, let's build a society that does not require women to kill their own children for the rest of us to be happy. Let's, let's dream of a much different world where this isn't required, where, where, where you know, we are much better to each other. And, uh, and then you, 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 you start, you, you can have a different kind of conversation, not, oh, I want more rights to do this or less rights to do that, but of the kind of world that we want, you know, and as Catholics, we have so many insights into the kind of world we, we should be building together, you know, together with the people we disagree on many things. This, this is the real revolution. And again, this is about winning friends, not specifically arguments. Uh, we're, not, we're not there to win a debate at the dinner table at Christmas time. We, we want to do it with charity, listen carefully, ask good questions, and not cause a big brouhaha at Christmas yeah, dinner. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that what I found, what I have found is that uh, when you have this in mind, then it's a real pleasure to speak about everything that you are you have in your heart. And that's what people want. People, Catholics love the method because it enables them to speak about what they have in their heart without any violence. Jack, uh, in the moments that we have, uh, can you, you tell our listeners uh, a little bit more about how they can learn about Catholic voices and especially this, uh, this book, How to Defend the Faith? Well, the, the, the thing is to, to uh, read the book first, get the book, or uh, read it, study in groups, and, uh, and then maybe uh, look at the website of Catholic Voices, send an email, get in touch. Uh, if you want to do a, uh, some activities in your area, then we can have some ideas to expand Catholic Voices uh, in your city too. And the website is Catholic Voices. Uh, this is .org .uk, uh, and from there, you know, it has news of other countries. But you know, you can start there. Well, we so much uh, appreciate uh, your perspective. Uh, I think you planted some, some seeds uh, to to remind us of uh, the importance of. Um, you know, really uh, thinking about what we say at uh, at, at Christmas time, uh, exactly. Because uh, th this is obviously something that is definitely going to come up uh, in many families uh, across our nation here in the U.S. and in different parts of the world. Doesn't matter what language uh, you're having yep. Christmas dinner in, whether English, Spanish, or French, uh, the, some of these hot button issues are going to come up. And the, and the book actually has been translated into French and Italian and Portuguese and German. So, you know, you, it's, it's available in all the languages. Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, from London in the United Kingdom. Jack Valero, the founder of Catholic Voices. And now it's time for another edition of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called that first day of Christmas. There were no Christmas stockings hung on that first Christmas day, just a lonely manger in a lowly bed of hay. There was no jovial Santa Claus with toys and gifts galore, but shepherds came from out of fields to worship and adore. There was no Christmas tree that day bedecked with tinsel bright, but in the east there was a star that dazzled with its light. There were no Christmas carolers to serenade with song, but hosts of angels gathered round to watch the whole night long. 
No fast, last-minute shopping and no Christmas cards to send, but hope was born in one small child for new life without end. John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that's really what it's all about. Uh, Thanks so much, uh, Glenn, coming up next hour here on Morning Air. His Excellency uh, Bishop Donald Hying of the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin, will be with us to talk about all the beautiful liturgies here in the late uh, part of Advent, as well as making some final spiritual preparations for Christmas, uh, only nine days away. Plus, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, is going to be with us once again to explain the Advent tradition of praying the O Antiphons, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Don't change that dial. There's much more to come here on Morning Air next hour. Stay with us.